You wouldn't be running numbers out of this club now, would you, son? Running numbers is illegal, sir. Running numbers without I know about it is both illegal and unhealthy. You remember that. Whoa, son, you're not finished. Poor his. Well, I prefer it in a bottle. Shut up, Hollis. How come you don't look familiar? I've been away, up to Houston. Houston? I hear they let you boys run wild up there. Oh, look what you've done now. Better get something to wipe it up, son. You spilled it, maybe you should wipe it up. I told you to do something. Are you gonna hop to it or are we gonna have a problem? You want to turn tail in front of your people, huh? I understand. Come on, Houston, give it a try. Come to Papa. You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain adult language and discussions of an adult nature. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. You have been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 207, and I am your host, Lee. Between nowhere and not much else, Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. Ain't had a good day since the Alamo. Harper, how you doing, sir? I have I have not really had a good day since the Alamo, so yeah, no, that's, that's all right, yeah. <laughs> I like your name, too, the Cold Winters Hypothesis. <laughs> We could talk about the cold winter subpoenas. This is something that I know uh, quite a bit about. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a few. I forgot things it was about. in this movie. It was, I forgot it was in this movie. And uh, yeah, no, a lot of, a lot of themes here. Lots of we could almost we could actually do a commentary for this. I think. Um, yeah. Pausing and... to talk about all the issues in it, and still not really cover everything. Um, but I think, uh, I think, I think we're not going to get to that level of depth. But you know, I think the funniest thing is that. Yet again, we did not plan for the subject matter of the movie we picked to necessarily be pretty much dead on with what's going on right now. Right, you know, it's like, oh yeah, we did a couple of movies about how terrible cops are. Yeah, that's uh, shitty. And then, um, you know, let's move on into a movie about uh, you know, John Sayles talking about uh, immigration in Texas. That's not going to be politically interesting at all. To no. the current era, you know. Uh, we, we are doing um, Lone Star from 1996 uh but before we get into that we do have a shit ton of comments to get through here so uh, we're going to try to do that first off uh from daro McAleese on our uh, facebook uh, group says uh, i haven't posted for ages has been buried in work with all that's been going on 
listening through all your current episodes from A Trip to the Moon to Wings, really digging this exploration and journey through early cinema. You guys are a lifeline in keeping my head sane as I work through a nightmarishly large report I need to complete. Totally agree with your comment about how your fellow podcasters love your digressions. I do too, as a movie fan. Your diversions into odd film categories is just my happy place. Keep up the good work, guys. And he also says, and I recently started putting some Patreon money your way, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I did notice that, and uh, you get nothing for that. That's mm-hmm. the thing. My, my Patreon subscribers they get nothing for their support except the happiness that comes from supporting me. So, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have complicated reasons for that, you know, but, um, you know, ultimately, ultimately, like, uh, yeah, no, I have no time to do anything special for my Patreon subscribers at all. Just get it goes out to the world. If you think I'm worth supporting, then support me. I thank you very much. Uh, you get nothing for it. A dollar, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, whatever. You get the Gene uh, Wilder you get, treatment. You get, you get nothing. You get nothing. You get nothing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, thanks, uh, Darrow. Good to hear from you again. And yeah. um, also, I, I want to throw it there. Uh, Jeff Williams, are you still fucking alive? Please uh, leave a message on the old Facebook group if you are, because I haven't seen you post any uh, suggestions. I haven't seen you post any uh, reviews on your letterbox in the last couple months. So I'm just kind of wondering how you're doing. So uh, you think the pandemic got him? I don't know. Uh, maybe just it's keeping him busy. Maybe he's taking a break. Yeah, no, I'm not, sorry, I, I realized after I said that, like you think he died of COVID nineteen, which you know would be a really depressing or thought. any okay. anything. Honestly, yeah, just right, just yeah, just wondering. I, so, I think the pandemic threw a lot of people into like uh, kind of uh, skipping their regular uh, uh, patterns of behavior, and so I'm hoping that as we just open up our economy mm-hmm. and suddenly we're back to normal despite the fact that we have no reason to do so, then people will just come back and uh, join us again. Yeah. And describe all their, all the terrible things that are happening in the reality. You know. <laughs> and now we got a bunch of comments on YouTube. All of them good. I, I, again, I decided, like, you know what? Fuck these fucking people. There's no there. reason to read the shitty ones, ultimately. <laughs> unless they're funny. If they're funny... Yeah, they haven't been. Know, they've... Like, they've just been they've just been people from like indonesia insulting me in their own language i know i know that your like strategy was to like read everything for a long time and Mm -hmm. like you know give us the fucking movie and all we do is just call these people shitheads and they don't know yeah and you know the audience that listens to us probably enjoys us doing that but like you know (laughs) almost probably not worth the time you know you could just be like yeah here's a list of four people who said you know, give us the movie, and then we just go, yeah, yeah, you're shitheads, and then just kind of move on. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just just read read the interesting ones in the future. We are now to the point of which we get enough comments that we don't have to read them all. That's yeah. The philosophy. Uh, so we have uh, Peter Theobald, who's been uh, commenting the last few weeks, sort of going through our uh, YouTube versions of our episodes. At first, I thought you were going to say Peter Thiel, and I was going to laugh that, you know, billionaire, <laughs> right-wing shithead Nazi uh, uh, tech guy is, like, commenting uh, on our YouTube videos. I don't think Please I'd, continue. Yeah, I don't think I'd want – doesn't sound like a guy I'd want to like our our podcast. That, that's, no, no, no. We, but, like, if he was listening, I would give him some messages, <laughs> which would mostly be go fuck yourself and stop being a Nazi and you destroyed journalism. You know, that would dose me. It's very, oh. very easy things I would tell him. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know what the lesser 
Peter the something. Peter Theobald, you said? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so on our Once Upon a Time in the West episode, he says, I cannot really add anything to your account of this movie. It has made such an impression on me that nearly a decade after first viewing it in 69, that we called our daughter Jill at my request. Since then, I have probably watched it more times than the original Magnificent Seven. Is his favorite dialogue exchange, Frank, I'm just a man, harmonica, that's an ancient race. And uh, he leaves it at that. Uh, yeah, cool that you, yeah. you you named your daughter Jill after the Jill in, in that that's, movie. That's that's a bit of a complicated thing if you've seen the movie, you know. But uh-huh. also amazing. I, I I totally get that. Also, like apparently Jill is like our age because if he saw the film in sixty seven or sixty eight, and then ten years later, so mm-hmm. so we've got someone who you know like like grand grandpa, you know, and yeah. uh, you know Jill, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's actually sorry. I was just kind of doing the math in my head and going like, "That's actually pretty awesome." So thank you, yeah, uh, Vault. For, uh, uh, he yeah. goes on to our episode on in old Arizona and the Virginian. This is most informed of boys. Watch the Virginian, and yes, it is sort of a screen test for Coop's later hit in High Noon over twenty years later. Also, I know now where uh, Leone got his the idea for her, his baby swapping scene in Once Upon a Time in America. Hmm. hmm. And I have, I actually, I think I saw like a chopped up version of that when I was a kid on TBS, I think. I've never really actually watched, that's one of my uh, you know, movie nerd blind spots, I guess, where I've never hmm. actually watched that movie like full uncut on DVD kind of thing or whatever, you know, so. Yeah, I've been saving Let's Put a Time in America for uh, like one day I will sit down and watch it, uh, but I have not seen it, so. Yeah. We should we should maybe make that uh like one of our like before the end of the year like just jump to it in December, just to, yeah just to, yeah I think that'd be a good plan. He goes on on our Repo Man episode. And he says uh, another great review, boys. Uh, excuse my use of the word boys, uh, as I have a son who was born the same year as you, Daniel. As usual, I now have to revisit uh, Repo Man after listening. Around the time of this movie, Alex Cox was presenting a weekly show for the BBC introducing and showing some of his favorite cult films. I remember writing to him via the show for info on one of the many Italian westerns he presented. He kindly sent me an answer via postcard from Mexico. Holy shit. Um, yeah. yeah. This this sounds like someone who should be on our podcast. <laughs> I would, yeah. I would, please, come on. Like, I mean, you know. Yeah, give us an e- give us an email address or something. Uh, we'd love to chat. Yeah, please do a skit on a skit. He says, but a show. I, th- I think is what he meant on Walker, as this is another film that needs uh, watching more than once. And yeah, that's uh, Alex Cox. It is dressed in spaghetti western dress, but it has much more to say than that. I'm about to now order a couple DVDs uh, under the joint title of Fear and Loathing in the Motor Trade. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Uh, yeah, thank you, Peter. Uh, keep commenting. Love that's to have awesome. those comments on, on our episode. Join the Facebook group. We'd love to chat. Yeah, and then we have one from Shadowman4710 on our uh, Platoon episode. And he says, I saw this when it came out, and like a lot of Oliver Stone's work, it really doesn't hold up all that well. Huh. I, I actually kind of agree with that with some stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, the thing that makes it is the acting from Berenger and Defoe, as well as some of the other supporting actors. Charlie Sheen is well, Charlie Sheen. I really can't take anything he does seriously anymore. Yeah, it is kind of hard. <laughs> when, and that was that was like I think I think that was like one of his first, if not his first film. I know we kind of talked about that one mm-hmm. in the episode. 
you know, the same year he did Ferris Bueller's Day Off is sort of like the, you know, like the bad boy and, you know, flirting with uh, Jennifer Grey or Mm -hmm. Jennifer Grey. Um, Yeah. Long before he did even Major League. That's like two years before Major League. Oh, yeah. Kind of a major figure. Major League would be a uh, film that we should do at some point when we want to just poke fun at racism. That would be the, uh, the reason to do it. Um, a film I grew up with that I watched a little bit of like a few years ago and went like, oh, I forgot how terribly racist this was. I mean, you know, uh, the thing with Platoon is it's uh, only in Stone's career. It's a personal film for Stone. Um, it is, I mean, it is dated, but it's dated in the way that like anything from 1986 just kind of is, you know? Mm-hmm. And Stone himself like far outgrew that kind of cinematic technique. Yet it has... Uh, very real um, qualities that are make it worth seeing, and so I don't feel like it's dated so much as like for its time. You know what I mean? I feel yeah, like there's yeah. a difference. Yeah, but I um, mean that's not to that's not to argue with our commenter as much as it is to sort of like uh, clarify my own feelings about that. Although I think we both thought that held up pretty well, though. Like that. Yeah, like yeah that, no, absolutely. I think I said it on the episode. That's pretty much still the best Vietnam film that's been made. Pretty much. Like, yeah, no, no. I, I mean, you know, it's certainly in that like kind of top tier. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and in fact, um, you know, I remember uh, if you look at like a uh, Roger Ebert's review of like Full Metal Jacket, which is released in '87, mm-hmm. like he explicitly says like Kubrick is brilliant, but like you can't uh, watch this, which is made clearly on a soundstage in England, <laughs> you know, and compare it to uh, Platoon and think this is of any value whatsoever. Effect. Like it just doesn't look the same at all, you know. Like, uh, yeah, Stone, Stone being a filmmaker who served in Vietnam, who came back, who literally learned filmmaking as a way of kind of talking about his experiences to some degree, and then eventually got to make this film. And this being kind of very early in his career, and now he's gone on to be this kind of like other figure. But at the same time, like someone who was there at the time, I mean, it's it's probably the most authentic kind of Vietnam film we're ever going to get. Yeah, um, despite its kind of genre tropes and despite like kind of the problems that we had with it you know yeah yeah i think one of the things is i I think we did criticize charlie sheen's performance mostly as you know you just don't feel like you're quite in that moment Mm -hmm. um and we were really gonna do that with casualties war and i think uh, michael j fox uh in casualties war is much more kind of fills that same role um so you almost wish fox had been like cast in that which would have been a year after back to the future yeah Uh, yeah, that movie would have made uh, even more money. I think if, uh, you know, yeah, uh, because Back to the Future was the top grossing film of 85. So, you know, I think he was still doing like yuppie roles in like Secret of My Success and Alex P. Keaton at that point, though. So, you know. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of what the Charlie Sheen character is, really. That's his, kind of his background uh, in that movie. So, yeah, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to play a little bit of music uh, from the excellent fucking soundtrack of Lone Star and uh, some podcast promos, and we'll be back to talk about Lone Star. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. Oh, oh, oh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. 
It takes a powerful goddess like Connie jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops.
All right, Lone Star from 1996. Forty years ago, under Sheriff Charlie Wade, Rio County was as corrupt as they came. That Sheriff Wade, he could get ugly. Then, Buddy Deed showed up. How about you lay that shield on this table and vanish? You're a dead man. They called him a legend. He was a unique individual. They called him a champion of justice. The day that man died, they broke the damn mold. His son is about to find out the truth. Follow me. I'm Sheriff Deed. Sheriff Deed is dead, honey. He's just Sheriff Junior. We found a body out by Fort McKenzie yesterday. You got any idea who might have put him there? A hell of a time to bring up old business. That badge yeah. didn't come out of a cereal box. Start digging holes in this county, no telling what will come up. You two saw it, didn't you? I'm gonna find out one way or the other. I just think people in town ought to know the full story on Buddy Deeds. That makes two of us. Castle Rock Entertainment presents the new film from acclaimed director John Sayles. Gotta be careful where you go poking. Who knows what you'll find? <laughs> Lone Star. Directed and written by John Sayles and is starring Chris Christopherson as Charlie Wade, Matthew McConaughey as Buddy Deeds, Chris Cooper as Sam Deeds, Elizabeth Pena as Pilar Cruz, Miriam Colon as uh, Mercedes Cruz, Clifton James as Hollis Pogue, Jeff Monahan as Young Hollis Pogue, Ron Canada as Otis Payne, Gabriel Cassis as Young Otis Payne, Joe Morton as Delmore Payne, Eddie Robinson as Chet Payne and Francis McDermott in a kind of just a small cameo role, really, as Bunny, but uh, quite quite the role, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, no, I'd say. a very good role. I, again, the same year as uh, Fargo. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> I like to think that she kind of just like transitioned between these two things, like in a day. Like, you know, <laughs> she's doing Fargo and then going off and being like, you know. I'm going to be like Fry from Futurama's mom for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Yeah, that's pretty spot on. So synopsis here from someone called John Reeves on IMDb. When the skeleton of his murdered predecessor is found, Sheriff Sam Deeds unearths many other long buried secrets in his Texas border town. And yeah, that's the bare minimum. That's, you know, that's the back of the box kind of thing. But uh, that is kind of what happens. I mean, it's not like there's a lot of plot in this necessarily. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that happens here, yeah. right? There's a lot of backstory, and I think part of the. Sorry, should should we just dive into it? Uh, sorry. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it's very easy for a first time viewer to kind of walk away from this and going like, I don't, I, I don't really quite know what, especially if you're just kind of watching it casually, because mm-hmm. you do kind of have to understand that there are kind of three. It's not even plot lines, but three characters that we're kind of paying attention to. And they each have a backstory to their sort of like father. So it's very much about kind of fathers and sons in this border town. And there's also a sort of a mystery which um, derives the plot and sort of gives us sort of the like the basic mechanism by which this thing goes on. But the plot really isn't that important and the, you know, like the mystery is there. It's sort of interesting. It's not like a terrible story, but ultimately it's a, it's a 15 minute plot. If you're just it's, kind of talking about the murder yeah. mystery, 
it's ultimately about sort of the uh, the things that are sort of unearthed as we sort of like explore this murder mystery in terms of sort of the characters and their connections between each other and the sort of kind of psychic provenance of, you know, <laughs> father, really the sense of the fathers being visited upon sons. And then those sons have become fathers who have their own kind of issues that kind of, kind of move forward. And it's sort of like, I mean, I, I think John Sales is a filmmaker and, and I am not like super familiar with John. Sales Me either. I really love uh, men with guns. I think that's a, that's a really a uh, great film, which uh, equally, I mean, that's a film that's about sort of Mexico and, mm-hmm. like, you know, sort of sort of the, the impact of sort of American colonialism and sort of Western imperialist power and, you know, kind of dictatorship within, you know, kind of Latin America, et cetera, et cetera. And the way that Western power uh, inflicts the indigenous population. So in a way, that film is like even more, and that's only two years after this one. Um, and so mm-hmm. in a way, that was about sort of the... Um, you know, the same kind of general themes that are kind of going on here, but at an even lower economic strata in a way, you know? Oh, and yeah. in that sense, I'm sorry, we were just kind of talking about Oliver Stone, ironically. Oliver Stone and John Sales are kind of the only American filmmakers who have any kind of sense of exploring sort of the impact of, uh, you know, sort of American imperialism in the world and this kind of sense of what colonization does and what kind of like, big picture i mean sales more so than stone stone is about kind of like the kind of very much about like let's talk about what bomb how bad bombing cambodia was whereas sales is more about like let's talk about how these sorts of patterns of repression and patterns of oppression are you know kind of play themselves out in sort of the modern day world so we get scenes of you know we're in this border town with a large, you know, uh, Mexican American population. Yeah. And they have a very different sense of like what the Alamo means than the sort of white historically quote unquote American. We, we have, we have a PTA meeting basically with, yeah. with a Karen in here going, they're destroying yeah. our heritage by tearing down our whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very, it's very of this like particular yeah. moment in 2020. Right. Um, but of course, like in the mid nineties, uh, you know, this was at the height of kind of the, the textbook wars. This was kind of the beginning mm-hmm. of like doing revisionist textbooks, uh, was, yeah. was the nineties. And I remember because like, I, you know, studied out of some of those textbooks in the United States, you know, although, um, being in public school in Alabama in the, in the nineties was basically, um, you know, go fuck yourself is the war of Southern aggression, you know, or the war of aggression, you know, um. Uh, which isn't quite true. I can't even remember if they ever called it that, but it was very much like there were little things of like, well, actually the slave owners were very kind to the slaves, etc. Yeah, it was more like indentured servitude than it was actual yeah, slavery. Was, well, I mean, it was slavery and it was bad and we feel bad about that, but also, like, don't you think the slave owners get kind of a bad rap? Yeah, uh, you and, know, and you know, uh, and I mean, you know, someone had to pick that cotton and, and look how well the, the Negro has done for himself now that he's pulled himself <laughs> up by the bootstraps and got religion. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But but yeah, no, and so so it's funny like looking at this twenty four years later and kind of going like we're kind of still having the same debates. I mean, this film yep. feels very much of its moment in a lot of ways. I mean, Matthew McConaughey in a supporting role, you know, at the very beginning of his career. Yeah. Know? And yet, you know, it feels very kind of of the current moment as well in the sense of we're still talking about the same fucking things, you know. Um, also, I just want to highlight this here. Uh, Elizabeth Pena, I fucking love Elizabeth Pena. Um, and yeah. I think most people will know her from uh, Rush Hour. Right. Uh, 
song um, probably probably before anything else, and it's kind of a shame that she died a few years ago. Yeah, it was 2014 she died, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Corrosive of the liver or something like that? Which... Yeah, I, I, I kind of get the feeling she was a horrifying alcoholic. Um, yeah, so. that's from that's kind of the impression I get, which is just, it's so heartbreaking because she's so good. And even yeah. even just on a surface level, that fucking voice, she's so sexy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, even when, even when she's just like saying like, standard lines of dialogue like take the dog out wow sexy as fuck like yeah no absolutely yeah, who who let the dogs out elizabeth Kenya <laughs> did man Pena let 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 the dogs out for sure mm-hmm. um yeah no and it's uh i don't i don't know there there is a you know we get the we get the murder mystery the kind of the western murder mystery plot. It's, uh, kind of it's it's kind of neo noir and western all sort of wrapped up in the one and you're yeah. right it's it's a very slight plot but it's decidedly, you know, like constructed that way because it's not really about the murder of Chris Christopherson's character. Yeah, it, it, Charlie it's Wade. Mo- Charlie yeah, Wade, the, the person like the like the sheriff before Buddy Deeds, who is yeah. Matthew McConaughey's character, who is Chris Cooper's dad, and so yeah. so you get like originally when you're first kind of introduced to this, you kind of get the sense of like, well, he's a terrible guy and totally he was killed by Matthew McConaughey. He was killed by, Mm -hmm. but he needs, that isn't really what happens, but it's kind of what happens at the, you know, it's it's what was going to (laughs) happen. Right. Right. But it's also like, you know, we sort of get this sense of, we're sort of following the logic of the mystery. We're sort of following it just in terms of like interviewing witnesses, which really kind of give us, Yes, you get the detail of, you know, whatever in that scene. Oh, this is a thing that was happening. But it's really about sort of like feeding in details about the world that these characters live in, mm-hmm. which is increasingly the world in which we live because it's really about sort of the um, implicit and explicit racism and about sort of these like complicated uh, racial relations among the people. And it's like you learn that Buddy D, Matthew McConaughey's character, uh, was very much a friend. Like he was a good cop. You know, he was very much a friend to the African American community, but absolutely kind of fucking hated Mexicans. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that, like, apparently, I mean, at least we're told by a possibly unreliable narrator that, yeah, there, you know, even the Mexican families in the town, you know, as long as they weren't illegal, they were kind of treated fairly by Buddy Deeds. But at the same time, Chris Cooper, Sam Deeds, who was uh, Buddy Deeds' son, really fucking hated his father, but for mm-hmm. like personal reasons, you know, and so you get this kind of like really uneasy kind of complicated sense of kind of who these people are, right? You get a, you get a sense that, so the biggest sort of thing, hang like the sword sort of hanging over this whole thing is whether or not Buddy Deeds was actually a murderer and what that right. will do to the town if that comes out. And you, you, you do learn and, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm just going to say spoilers. Like if, if you haven't watched the movie before we start talking about it, you need to go watch it and come back. Right. Okay. I feel like you will get a lot of the film, even if, you know the ending. Like, I just I don't want to spoil I don't want to spoil it for anybody because sure, I yeah, no, yeah no no it's worth it's worth yeah go ahead yeah we're yeah uh, but so you learn that Buddy Deeds it ultimately is not a murderer but you do sort of learn with the conversations that Chris Cooper has with all the people in town and the old people who were around when Buddy Deeds was around and when uh, Wade was around you you learn that he sort of was a real politician as a cop. Like he very much intertwined with the politics of the town. 
and he definitely made a lot of things better for people. But at the same time, you know, he still kind of played hardball and, you know, definitely held some people down to get things done. You know, you like you hear the, the, the story he has with the uh, with the janitor at the, at the jailhouse who was in jail for a period of time. And Buddy Deeds, you know, would let him out of jail to build his deck for him during the right. summer, you yeah. know. And so that sort of thing. And what the interesting thing is you get the perspective of the different people from the different cultures and the different social standings within those cultures. And they all remember things differently. They all have a different perspective on what Buddy Deeds actually meant to them. Yeah, there's Most, a bit of a Citizen Kane effect here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's just so well constructed. Like you get such a great sense of this town and even though it doesn't, I, I don't feel like it hammers you over the head with any of its points it's making. Like, I just feel it, it very naturally comes out of the performances of the characters that you just get a feel for this town. You get a feel of the politics. You get a feel of the race relations. And it doesn't necessarily uh, try to, like, become a big message movie and, like, smash you over the head with anything, there's right? No, there's, no, there's no, I mean, I mean, there there is a kind of clear political message, which is... Mm-hmm. You know, Life is shit. Things are really complicated. Uh, racism is bad, etc. Yep. You know what I mean, you know, like, yeah. but, but like, it's it's not making a sort of like it's not saying like, you know, uh, we need to expand immigration. Although I think the film is clearly arguing that you know immigration controls on borders are bad. You know, like they uh, the the conversation he has with the dude in Mexico there, where the the guy draws draws a line in the sand with the coke bottles, like step over that. You know, right. I don't have to answer any of your questions because of this bullshit border right here. You know that, right, the, the, right. you know. And I mean, I mean, there's a there like there was a like a Supreme Court case a few years ago where there was some kid playing around the fence of the border wall. Kids play around that fence who live near it all the fucking time, right? Mm-hmm. But the fence is like some like meters on the inside of the U.S. Mexico border, right? You know. Okay. Yeah. So there's some percentage, like there's some like twenty feet or whatever, of behind the border wall that is U.S. territory, right? And so, like, some kid was like throwing rocks at a border patrol agent, and then. <laughs> This border patrol just opened fucking fire at these fucking kids and killed killed one of them. And the Supreme Court decides because the kid happened to be just over the border, like there's a gully, and it like based on the placement of the gully, they determined like he's actually over the Mexico border based on this. Like it turns out that the kid doesn't even get to sue because of like, you know, fucking bullshit legal arrangements. And this is Part and parcel, it's the sort of thing that is, this is the reality of the situation in which there are these like communities, Mexican people, people who live in Mexico and Americans who are very ethnically similar, despite the fact that like sort of the, there's a more kind of white Anglo, you know, percentage on the American right. side of the border for obvious reasons, but like very culturally similar. I think it divided by this like kind of like false border wall, right? Yeah, which is enforced by you know <laughs> U.S. imperialist policy. A hundred years ago, in in 1920, you could cross that border with no problems. There were no there was yeah. no question about your ability to cross that border. You could just kind of show up and you know 
start a ranch or you could, you know, have, you know, and you would have been uh, less, uh, you wouldn't have been seen as fully, uh, as fully a citizen or whatever, but you could definitely kind of be like naturalized and like increasingly as the value of labor started to, to change. And, you know, then then suddenly we started to militarize that border. And I mean, it's it's disgusting. It's bullshit. And this film doesn't really get into that. It doesn't kind of get far back, but certainly like it's on its mind. That these kinds of concepts of there is this uh, kind of politicized border here. There is a kind of a Mexican side, the Mexico side and a U.S. side. You know, it, this does sort of play into those same general ideas. In a way, I'd want to see this as a kind of a companion piece to Touch of Evil in a way. Mm-hmm. It, kind of similarly about like the same kind of idea, although it's set on the other side of the border. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when you think about, okay, so... The film is made in 1996, and they're talking about like 40 years earlier. They're talking about 1957, and Touch of Evil is made in 1958. And yeah. you kind of imagine that this is sort of on the mind of John Sales when he's sort of like designing the film. That <laughs> Char- like, Charlton Heston is Buddy Deeds. And the- <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, no, there's a very, there's a very real. I mean, in a sense, this is a film in dialogue with Touch mm-hmm. of Evil. And I think, uh, you know, I think, I think you and I could argue about this. I think Touch of Evil is on sort of the second tier of uh wells films um i don't think that it's quite on that like sort of depends on what version you watch i think i have only ever seen the good version the quote-unquote the good version Mm -hmm. i think i put it on the second tier just because i deeply love like i mean you know I, i don't think like directorially i think it's among his best i think narratively and in terms of kind of what what it's doing i don't i i'm not sure i'd kind of put it Right up there with it, and it's best to be like Citizen Kane and for fake. Okay, yeah, it, it doesn't deeply go and as deeply go into the stuff as Sales does here. I'll give you that. It, it's much more interested in the sort of noir, right? Sort right. of mechanics and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, like second tier Wells is like better than like yeah. 9.9% of all. <laughs> Yeah, it's not, it's not. It's not like damning it with faint praise or anything like that. I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, despite the fact that I don't think it's like among the like very best of what Wells is doing, I think it really would work as a as kind of a double bill with Lone Star, and I think that that I think that that speaks very highly of Lone Star, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I mean with Wells, it's like it's really splitting hairs. It's like you got top tier Wells, and then you got like Wells slumming it in a movie for money like that's that's kind of that's kind of the, the demarcation line there like kind of you know I'm, I'm only considering his directorial like his, his writer director work as opposed to like i mean he he was in a bunch of shit but that you know like we're not considering transformers the movie and that's like, <laughs> you know consideration there you know you, you don't you don't evil Two steps above Transformers the movie is kind of well, what I'm you, you don't care about the racial politics between the Decepticons and the Autobots, and how Unicron is is the over encroaching uh, greed and uh, hubris of. Uh, I, I'm not even. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> I was trying to make something up, but you know. Yeah, I haven't seen that film since I was a kid. So yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to apologize for that film because it, it crushed my childhood when it killed all the like cool Autobots in the first scene. Yeah, fair, fair. Actually, um, the the, uh, the bread tuber uh, H Mama guy had a very nice video about how when he first saw uh, Transformers the movie and uh, how it's sort of like uh, like the the sort of the politics of it and everything. So uh, you know, uh, worth watching. Worth watching. Yeah. I, I watched the film again for 35 years but yeah 
Yeah, so I, I do find it interesting, like, this town is in a transitional phase. Uh, Chris Cooper's character, he he was estranged from his father, basically, for so many years, and he comes back after a messy divorce. He's basically just propped up as a figurehead because he's got the deed's name by, you know, the white establishment, who is... And the whites are the minorities in this town, actually. Um, right, yeah. I mean, they say they say many times that uh, the Hispanics are like 90% of the population of this town, you know. Um, so they know that... But the fact that the film doesn't really show us that. Right, uh, right. You know. But, I mean, still, it, you know, and, and they make uh, mention of this, that the next sheriff is definitely going to be Mexican. Yeah. You know, like, he's going to be of that heritage, and... And it's interesting, you see the one guy who's gunning for the job, he comes up to Chris Cooper and he's like, I just wanted to let you know I'm, I'm going to be running as sheriff. And Chris Cooper asks him, so, okay, so what's your opinion on this? And and he's just like, well, you know, there's there's good people on both sides, basically, is, is his answer. You right, know? right. And, well, and, and, you know, playing the political game, ultimately, yeah. which, is, which is, I mean, I think a very, like, kind of realistic, I don't know if, we talked a lot about like Greg Daniels in the last couple of episodes, and I feel like there's a very kind of like Greg Daniels is very interested in sort of like local politics and like sort of like the way that you know you can be kind of intimately connected to someone, and then you sort of like play the political game. Mm-hmm. And I think this film, like I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to like praise it by saying it really does it just as well by saying like you know, oh, well, what do you think about such and such? And so, well, you know, we have and it's the naming. I think it's the naming of the uh, town hall. No, it's um, it's the fact that uh, one of these big fucking prisons is coming in, you know, and, right. and basically, um, I, I think it's um, no, no, no. They're 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 adding they're adding capacity to the jail. Well, no, so, they're they're building a prison on the land that uh, they find uh, Wade's body on. They're building oh, a new prison. God, is that you've yeah. seen this more than I am? I, I, I they're, will, they're, I so like. But you know, so like, there's talk that jobs are going to be gone. Like something, some sort of industry is leaving the town. The, the, so the military base is supposedly leaving the town. Yeah, going to leave. Uh, you know, like the entire economy is going to be ripped out because, like, essentially, this is a border town. It's meant like basically the service industry that gives alcohol and blowjobs to soldiers is the you know is all this town is there for. You know, like yeah. Uh, and so this um, the the base is leaving, and we should talk about the the military base. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, so the base is leaving. They're trying to kind of figure out what to do in the meantime, and so I guess they're kind of putting in this kind of big prison. They're kind of increasing the jail capacity. Deeds is like, yeah, no, we have plenty of capacity. We don't need any more jail space. And that's you're right. He asks like uh, he asks yeah. the, he asks the Hispanic guy like. You know, what do you think about this? I was like, well, you know, this is a conversation with a lot of nuance. We really have to think about all the sides of this conversation. And the guy totally knows, yeah, we don't need this, but it's going to bring it. We're going to get a bunch of money for this, and they're going to support my campaign. And so suddenly, like, I have yeah. to play ball and, with them. And every, everybody in town is going to be working for the prison, you know, within right. a couple generations. Which is or... exactly what happens in a lot of these small towns. You put, yeah. a, you put a big prison in, and suddenly uh, – you know, half the population is guarding the other half. It's yep. a prison industrial complex. Things that I have no opinion about whatsoever. Yeah. My leftist, my SJW cut boy. <laughs> Man, there's so much in this movie. Yeah. Fucking... We should talk about Joe Morton. Can we talk about yeah. Joe Morton? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. He's great. Done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, moving on. No, no. <laughs> um, Joe Morton, who uh, uh, has a Delmore Payne, and I think uh, I think most 
if you're if you're my age, you probably remember him as uh, from from Terminator Two. Yep. Uh, but he's been in a bunch of stuff, and uh, he is the. Uh, so this is where like the film kind of like leans into its uh, the premise, just sort of. <laughs> The film sort of leans into uh, a coincidence just a little bit, you know, for me in mm-hmm. terms of like it sets up its plot by saying, well, uh, Buddy Deeds is now the, uh, he was away for a long time. And now he's, or pardon me, uh, Sam Deeds, he was away yep. for a long time. And now he's back and he's the sheriff. And also Elizabeth Pena, uh, Pilar Cruz, she's still hanging out in town because uh, she's super hot. And her mom owns the restaurant, and she's a school teacher now. Um, and also, like the other guy, Joe Morton, uh, Payne, Payne's kid, he just magically back here to shut yep. down this military base. And so, uh, the, all these people who uh, have no reason to be living in this tiny town are still are now back living in this tiny town just mm-hmm. when they discover this body. And so, there is a sort of like plot <laughs> coincidence kind of thing going yep. on. And you just have to kind of paper over that and just accept it as like a thing, you know. Um, it's also like you know one of the things that I think we we uh, think about when we you know, watch this film for the first time is there's a lot of people and a lot of names that get dropped and there's a lot of stuff right. and it's really easy to kind of lose track of who's who and what exactly is kind of going on without having having kind of like a cast list of Wikipedia open. So it does help to watch this two or three times to really kind of get at the you know kind of well, I think, really, uh... I, I will say, like, I think the movie does a good job of, like, holding your hand with this, though, because uh, both through the actual casting of the younger counterparts of our main yeah. characters, which is some of the best I've ever seen in a movie. Like, these oh, yeah, people, yeah. like, spot-on look like the people you see the older versions of in in the present. I mean, uh, today they would do it digitally. They would just de-age the yeah. actors, and it would not... I mean, it would not look very different than what we see in this film because they really did, like, find actors that, you know, look very, very, very similar. And the other thing is just the smoothness of sales transitions here between Mm -hmm. flashbacks and the present, which is it's all within the same shot. And it's just fucking great, like the way he does it. It's it's very, very, very kind of Wellesian, if, if, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, if you know where I'm going at, like, where he, like, hands down and it's like you know it all started with a bowl of tortillas and then like you pan <laughs> down and then over to a bowl of tortillas and then like a hand reaches in and yep. it's like there we are we're back in the past like this is a very uh you know you could see this being a very uh you know again a very touch of evil kind of kind of cut you know um, yeah, yeah. You know. um but yeah no uh joe morton someone who i've really liked since i was a kid i uh, really enjoy his performance who's sort of this like hard-ass a colonel, I guess, mm-hmm. who's kind of running this military base, which is in the process of being shut down. And he's like, I'm not giving up anything for, you know, like we're, we're going to be hard ass until the very end. Mm-hmm. And there's a shooting of a, um, of a soldier at one of these bars. And it turns out that his own son <laughs> was hanging out in that bar at that night. And the, uh, the the guy running the bar is like, yeah, you weren't here. You need to go out the back. It's, you know, don't don't talk to anybody. You were definitely not here. But the sort of investigation reveals this. You know, the the film is about this sort of like complicated relationship that people have with uh, their own kind of uh, place within the army, right? You know, because 
you know, you've got this young woman who's, you know, yeah, I joined to to have a career. I joined, you know, yep. it's my job to fight because you white people aren't going to do it for me, you know. She's like, yeah, I used to date this, like, deadbeat dickhead who kind of went in and did this shooting, but... Like, that's not, that's not on me, and it's not anything, you know. There is this tension between uh, kind of two of the uh, officers uh, who, end up be, who end up dating, yeah. you know, and they're learn they're like, they're like fucking around for themselves. And this whole, like, again, this whole, like, uh, complexity in terms of, you know, we have our kind of official positions where we have to sort of, like, behave in a certain way, but also we know that there's kind of more kind of going on behind that. And I feel like this tension between sort of the public and private persona kind of like wraps around this film over and over again like kind of get this sense constantly in terms of well there are things that like are between me and you in our bedroom and then there are things that kind of like the version of ourselves that we portray to the rest of the world and like yeah. that history itself is sort of like built around these same interactions and you know, when we do revise history, we do kind of look back and go like well actually it turns out that guy committed a genocide he might have been a pretty you know, I think about like uh, Ulysses S. Grant, right? Um, mm-hmm. There were there were some like statues of Ulysses S. Grant who uh, that were that were like torn down, and there was this big kind of thing of, but he he crushed the Klan when he was president. That's true. He also uh, genocided the Native Americans. So yeah, you know, uh, we get to we get to you know, it's a complicated legacy. It, it is, mm-hmm. and we get to have a conversation about it. Doesn't mean he gets to have a statue. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and. Uh, should mention that, yeah, uh, Joe Morton here, his his character, his dad is 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 his biological father, not necessarily his dad. His biological right. father, who ran out on him as a kid, is the one who is running this bar uh, that yeah. the shooting happens in. And there's a tension between those two because, you know, secretly from afar, he sort of learns through like his dad's current wife, who is a womanizer who's had many. She even mentions like. Yeah, he's had quite a few before me, you know, kind of thing. It's like, yeah, uh, but she's she's cool with it. Like she's, yeah, no, I, I know, I know who I am. I know what this relationship is, and you know, we're doing the thing. And but he learns. My, one of my favorite characters is like Mrs. Bledsoe, who uh, <laughs> is sitting on the front with porch the game boy. with the game boy. You know? Yeah. You ever yeah, play sorry. one of these things? <laughs> you ever play one of these things? I always say I'm going to have my breakfast and play three games, and now I've been here half the day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a great scene. And he has another yeah. great line too because he's he's like, "I'm Sheriff Deeds." It's like, "No, you're Sheriff Junior." <laughs> Sheriff yeah, Deeds yeah. is dead. Sheriff Deeds is dead, and he's like, "Oh, fair enough." Yeah, I well, hear he that gets, all the time. Yeah, no, no, I hear that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but, it's uh, funny. Yeah. It's funny how much like the first half of the film is like filled with that stuff mm-hmm. before you really like kind of dig into the plot, and then like the second half is kind of more like, and now we kind of gotta get things moving. And I feel like the first half, I definitely like the first half more than the second half. Yeah, you get to just hang out with the characters more and and learn what they're about, right? Um, but yeah, so, so Joe, Joe Morton's character, you know, he, he has conflict with his estranged biological father, but he, he learns that, you know, he's secretly been proud of him, like, all these years. He has this, like, shrine to him, basically, yeah. of all his newspaper clippings, because he's got this whole, um, he's got this whole hobby of uh, Seminole uh, Indian heritage kind of thing, and, and they're actually blood-connected to Seminole Indians. Right, um, right. There's some Native American. I mean, sort of multiracialism gets kind of played up over and over again in the film in terms of mm-hmm. like 
there would be questions of identity and like who are you exactly and yeah it, it's it's one of those things which is like there's all the different characters that are sort of followed in here they're sort of individual stories all could have made a pretty decent movie on their own but they're still kind of like interwoven in here and handled really well like i was pretty satisfied with sort of everything that happened here in in all these there's a bridge sort of built between uh, morton and uh, and his father yeah. um you know also be, sort of between uh, how he treats his son too like his son yeah. sort of feels yeah. like he has the expectation that oh i'm i i have to join the army cuz my dad's a hard ass and he kind of in his in and joe morton's character he sort of sort of learns through um uh, going over the review of this young woman who was involved in the shooting thing, uh, you know what? Maybe I need to lighten up a little bit. Like right. people are. Well, when, when he comes to his son and says, "Like if it's not for you, it's not for you." Yeah. Like he, but he, he has dreams for his son, and clearly, like he's never questioned those. And his son is even like, "Well, I'm totally going to have to do this." And you can kind of tell he's kind of fucking off in class in part yeah. because, you know, he's got no. He's got no option. It's like, well, I'm going to go to West Point. Yeah, you yeah know, he's getting, like, he's getting a, he's getting a B average, and yeah, and and in the early scene, his father's like, you think West Point's going to take a B average? You got to do better, son. And you know, it's like, well, it's yeah. like, and the answer is like, well, yeah, but you're my dad. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, frankly, you know, I, I think I, I think they're going to be fine. You yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I like that there is this kind of complicated and you get this kind of over and over again. And this is something that, you know, I've only seen this film twice now and Mm -hmm. I will definitely, I actually bought this, I actually bought the like digital version on YouTube, Uh, you know, it was like five bucks on YouTube and I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. That's fine. I'm probably going to be revisiting this, you know, over the course of the next, you know, couple of years and just sort of put it on and really kind of luxuriate in it because I feel like. I don't quite get some of the connections that the film is trying to make. And there's, mm-hmm. a, you kind of get this idea of like, there's this sort of like the, the sort of the, the, the natural cut where like within a scene, you know, you know, you get, you're doing coverage and then like the storyteller cut of like, we're cutting between sequences. And there are these like kind of three families, these three kind of central characters or ideas that we're sort of like cutting between. And I feel like there are like parallelisms between them that I just haven't quite unearthed in terms of mm-hmm. like kind of my impression of the film. Um, but I think the film is like, ultimately it's very, I mean, even on a, even kind of a superficial level, even if you don't necessarily um, kind of follow uh, everything that's going on all the time, because I, I do think that the film kind of suffers from just sort of like, it's a lot of things happening. And if you're not completely up on who, which names, who's, then it's very mm-hmm. get lost. Um, even if you're not kind of like up on that, I think the film is very entertaining and really interesting in terms of kind of its ideas. And my, my kind of issue at this point of like, again, only having said twice is, uh, kind of not necessarily feeling like I have like a complete handle on like what, what the film is really trying to say about these kind of like three different characters. And I feel like there are connections that I'm missing between like some of the like sideline people, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, spoil like the the sort of big um, the big reveal here is that we learn that uh, Chris Cooper and Elizabeth uh, Pena's characters who were in love as as kids and that relationship got broken up by uh, Chris Cooper's dad, uh, yeah. Buddy Deeds, and that's that's why he's had that estrangement from him ever since. Basically, is because he hated him for that, and we we come to learn that uh, Buddy Deeds was uh, sticking it to Elizabeth Pena's mom. 
and that they're actually half brother, half sister. Yeah, and they're just gonna go like, well, I guess we're just gonna keep fucking. Yeah, we yeah. love each other anyway, so who gives yeah. a fuck, you know? Kind yeah, of we're, thing. Any, we're not gonna have any kids. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. You know? So um, um, I find it interesting that we never meet the adult Buddy Deeds. Like it, it, like it is kind of one of those things that like typically you would at least see like photographs or you get like some scene of kind of him being like a shit to like kind of the child um, Sam Deeds character or something like that. But really you kind of learn of Buddy Deeds from the legend and you get like very brief sequences of Matthew McConaughey kind of being a badass and mm-hmm. like in the fifties, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's you know. very, um, there's, there's very much like this big mythology built up around him and uh, Chris Christopherson's uh, Wade character too. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I mean, we should probably talk about Chris Christopherson as well. Fucking one of the best laid back monsters I've ever seen on film. Like he's oh, yeah, so, yeah. so psychopathic and evil, but at the same time as like, he never, he never like really gets mad. Like he, he's just, he's very laid back and he's looking at everybody like they're fucking meat for him to chew on, you know, kind of well, thing. He's the big dick in town. He knows mm-hmm. he's the big dick in town and like he gets to just kind of do whatever he wants. And well, he's a crime boss basically. Yeah, exactly. And that's, which is, uh, you know, what the cops are. Yeah, it's 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 you know again very uh, very Orson Welles and but yeah no I what I love another sorry the thing that I love the thing that I love about the film is uh, mm-hmm. the racism um, I, I do <laughs> I, I do admire as someone who is a bit of a student of modern day racism um, there's a lot of uh, really sophisticated racism going on here. In it describes it. I mean, we talked about sort of the the textbook committee and sort of the way that they're kind of talking about things. And going like, look, this is our side of the border, and that's the, you know, and you may have your own version of the Alamo, but this is our version of the Alamo, and it's our place, and we get to tell it kind of our way, which isn't what anyone should be saying, but it's very much an argument that people will make regardless. It's like, well, these are our heroes, and this is, this is how we you know we keep our statues, we keep our schools the way we want them. Um, down to we mentioned the cold winters hypothesis, which I was I completely <laughs> forgotten was in this movie. And it's like, you know, I'm as liberal as the next guy. I'm just saying, like, you know, when you live in the northern hemisphere, you live cold places, you gotta like build silos to store grain as opposed kick, to like kickstarts your brain instead of sitting on a beach waiting for fish to jump up on it, you know? And uh, not to spoiler alert, uh, this idea was a well is currently um, a thing, but but was central to the uh, theories of a man named Fritz Lenz. Fritz Lenz, the uh, scientific authority that was quoted in terms of the building of the Nuremberg Laws, and was one of the uh, ideological architects of the Holocaust. Yeah, um, spoiler alert. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. go figure with that one. <laughs> yeah, no, no, very much, and it's still used today. Can I tell you, like, my favorite piece of scientific bullshit in defense of anything ever? Which mm-hmm. is, there was a paper that was uh, published in defense of this idea, like, not even, not even like in like 1965. This is like 2009 or whatever. I don't have the certification anatomy, but this is this is like recent, like within the last like 10 or 15 years. And this group of researchers, quote unquote. Uh, built a whole paper around like kind of defending this hypothesis mm-hmm. and uh they had these very sophisticated mathematical models they had a bunch of data they plugged in the data was mostly bullshit but that's because all this data is mostly bullshit like who knew in their analysis it turns out that they were completely wrong 
because they were measuring the distance from uh, sort of the like a uh, human races origination port uh, point in uh, Central Africa, and sort of like measuring the distance based on and then like sort of like sophistication of like like IQ or whatever. And uh, it turned out that they neglected to account for the existence of oceans and sort of <laughs> their measurement of distance, and so they were just measuring like straight line values. <laughs> You know, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> the paper is still cited today by fucking bullshit racists. So, you know. yeah, of course it is. Of course yeah. it anyway, is. anyway, uh, by which to say, like, I, I include that here because I think it's very funny, first of all. And B, um, I think it, it does describe the degree to which Sales and his other, like, kind of the, the writers and the producers were very familiar with sort of the, the, the way that racism really manifests. Like, it has felt. As someone again who has studied to American racism to an absurd degree, this felt very, very authentic to me. There was something there. There's something in almost every scene that really kind of gets. Well, there's, there's this is how racists talk. This is not you know kind of. There's even there's even racism just within the actual cultures themselves. Yeah. So you know you got you got the you got the uh, Elizabeth Pena's mother who's running the restaurant who's this respectable you know. A Mexican woman who's who's yeah. making made her empire basically in uh, in in America. She's calling border patrol on illegal immigrants coming in yeah. across the border. You know, she gets involved in the situation with one of her employees who's actually running. You know, uh, people across the border, and he you know explains the situation. You know, she. Uh, this woman with us, she slipped, she broke her leg. We need to get her medical help. And, and, and if you call the border patrol, you know, we'll all be fucked. And she's like, typical, you know, she's just like typical Mexicans, you know, those people across the border, that kind of talk, you know, where it yeah, becomes no, normalized. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. you know, because you gain access to a certain amount of capital, you gain access to a certain amount of respectability and suddenly, you know, you have a very different opinion. And, and certainly, like, well, I jumped through the hoops and I did this the right way and I built something here. And, like, why? And, you know, like, it's, it is it, it is this kind of, like, um, completely fucked up version. Ooh, of although you learned she didn't really jump through the hoops. She no, fucked, she she fucked Buddy Deeds and got $10,000 that he stole from the county. Yep. yep. <laughs> so. Well, you know. But that's, that's, you know, hey, I earned this money. I fucked I fucked Matthew McConaughey. I mean, yeah. Well, and also he gave it to her because sort of as a widow's grievance because her original husband was like killed by Wade. uh, Right. Because he was also transporting uh, illegals in a, in a watermelon truck across bridges (laughs) and shit. Like, right. And I mean, Chris Christopherson just like outright just shoots people in the back of the head, like makes them turn. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. why don't you go get me that shotgun in your truck there? And then just bam, bam. As soon as you're touching it, boom, yeah. you're done. And then we learned that uh, the real guy who killed uh, Wade back in the day was Hollis, who is now the big fat cat around town, the mayor of the town. You're, you're kind of expecting like, oh, he's going to be like some sort of bad guy at the end of this. He's, you know, he's his he's put mechanicians in in place, you know, and and he and he's he's using political stuff to like maneuver, which he kind of is, but he's a red herring basically in in a way where it's you think oh he's going to reveal to be like this really evil motherfucker when no he's just this kind of bumbling cop who didn't really have the stones for it who finds the stones there because he he witnessed like a horrific murder right. <laughs> committed by Wade right in front of him and he wouldn't let another one happen. 
Well, and you know, you gotta, you know, at some point, you kind of make your decision. You know, like there's a there's a gray morality to to almost yeah. All these yeah, I killed the guy. We ended up we buried him in the desert. Like they found him with only his Masonic ring and his like, sheriff's star. Yeah, you find him with clothes, and so, you know, it does it does kind of like make me question. I mean, even after like forty years, like if they buried the guy, like there'd be like some tatters and clothes around him. <laughs> so, so they strip him naked. They probably did bury him, but throw the sheriff's star at the mason's ring back on it, just so they can track the body in forty years. <laughs> like, there is some, there is some stuff where you kind of go like, yeah, no, there's some, there's some logic here that doesn't really make sense. But. Maybe, maybe Wade had an extra sheriff's star stuck up his ass or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no. Um, great. This is fucking. This film's great. It, it, no, it, I feel it, like I feel like I feel like I really didn't do it justice. I I really do love the film. I do want to you know kind of keep revisiting it and everything. Um, you know, didn't, it's hard to it's it's one of those that's hard to talk about because it's really yeah. good. But also, kind of like there's a lot. You kind of just have to see it. You know. Yeah. Like, um, so I, I'm going to recommend that everybody see it. Uh, it's a you know rental for three ninety nine, purchase for four ninety nine on I think Amazon or uh, YouTube. And uh, still some uh, Warner Brothers discs uh, floating out there. I don't know if it's on Blu ray. I didn't check. It probably is at this point. Yeah, I think it was like ten bucks on Amazon. I just decided I, I you know I don't I don't really care about a physical copy of it, but uh, you know it's a it's yeah. easy it's easy to find. It's one of my favorite movies of the '90s. Like, I, th- I think it's one of the like best movies from that decade. Honestly, um, budget was three million. Box office thirteen million. There you go. Good, yeah. good, modest uh, I mean, returns. It, you know, it's a it's an indie film in 1986. You know, mm-hmm. and not not like a Tarantino clone with that. Not that I have a an issue, but that's definitely the era in which I mean, you, and you can imagine sort of the Tarantinoized version. Right. <laughs> that wouldn't yeah i don't that wouldn't play john sales would not make that version of it you know no and again not to criticize either like sort of the, the tarantino clones or john sales it's just saying like it's a very different filmmaker doing a very different kind of film you know? yeah yeah uh the only little bit of trivia i want to mention is uh the movie playing at the drive-in that uh young sam and pilar attend is black mama white mama from 1973 which is an in-joke reference to Pilar's uh, mixed uh, parentage. But uh, that that movie is uh, about a black prostitute uh, played by Pam Greer who hooks up with a white revolutionary and must form an uneasy alliance when they are busted out of prison and are pursued by guerrillas, bounty hunters, and the army. And uh, Sid Haig's also in that one, too. So it's another Pam Greer-Sid Haig film from the 70s. We'll, we'll need to add that to the list. Uh, I was really hoping it would be one of the uh, films that John Sayles did with uh, Roger Corman back in the day. <laughs> like, that would be, if I was if I was John Sayles, I would totally be like, yeah, they're sitting in a movie theater watching, like, the shitty Roger Corman movie. You know, and then be like, and then, then there's John Sayles walking across the street or whatever. I mean, he, you, 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 would, you would know that, like, though, Sales obviously probably just like, hey Roger, can I use some of that footage? You know, and it's like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can pay ahead. me eight. You can pay me eight thousand dollars under the table. Let's <laughs> just do yeah. it. Twenty four dollars. That's how much. I need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even know that's where the real I, is. I'm gonna have to look I, for it. That's all I need for this to be profitable. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've got real one, three, and parts of real two. 
but that I didn't cut into another film that I made three years later. You know? Oh my god, there there are there are real stories of Roger Corman movies only becoming profitable like thirty years afterwards. Oh, yeah, because, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> that would be something he would do. It's brilliant. Oh, you got one of them Hollywood budgets now, you know. Yeah. Let oh, me look, look at, my look at Mr. Look at Mr. Sales. He's so big. <laughs> Little old Roger here sitting. <laughs> I need $817 to put this film in the black. Once it's in the black, I can fund the next one. The next the budget for my next film is $819. <laughs> oh, uh so we're doing uh, Ghost Dog next. Ghost Dog next. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, and that'll be on our last little excursion into the 90s before we actually we go back to we go back to the the black and white. So we go back. Yeah, to we go back to. Yeah. We're at uh, actually. I think we're at thirty now. We're at nineteen thirty. Thirty. I have to. I have to look at the list. But you know, yeah. Yeah. Going back to we're going back to the uh, the 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 pre Hayes Code era. Mm-hmm. So after this, um, you know, like a very different kind of film. But it's been nice to nice to step away from it for a while. But I am looking forward to getting back to our to our uh, you know. I don't want to say silent, but go back to our like kind of view at the history of movies. So yeah. I kind of want to stick back at it until we get to. Uh, I do want to kind of like at the end of the year, kind of like let off some steam and do some fun stuff at the end of the year. But I really do want to like nose back to the grindstone and get through like the thirties by the end of the year. That's kind of my plan. So yeah, that'll be a good goal. Uh, so Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. I'm on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. You can find my other podcast where I talk about uh, racist fucks. If you want to hear me talk more about the cold winters hypothesis? I don't think I've actually done an episode on that. I did a version of the bell curve. I think I mentioned it there. Um, anyway, I do a podcast called Honest Speak German about uh, racists and racism and things that racists believe. And um, Nazis delete their content when I mention it sometimes, and that's always fun. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it's popular. People like it. Um, so check it out. I don't speak German. Lipson.com. Yeah. And you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com or you can find all of our YouTube, Facebook, and Apple podcast links. Join the Facebook group. Best way to uh, figure out what's coming up on the podcast and get in touch with us and uh, communicate with us and give us suggestions and compliments and criticisms and all that good shit. Um, no, criticism. no criticisms, just compliments. Yeah, save the criticisms for YouTube. Actually, go to our YouTube version. Put them on YouTube, and we'll and misspell everything. That's the that's the best way to do that. Miss misspell it or do it in a foreign language where I have to put it through Google Translate. And yeah, yeah, or just come on my Twitter and call me fat. I get that not (laughs) a lot lately. It's funny, like you know. Well, you're promoting genocide. Well, you're fat. Uh, Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. That's well. That's way worse. (laughs) It's way worse to be fat. You know. <laughs> I should read this. I should read this tweet. It's hilarious. I should read this thing I got from this like dipshit. Hold on one sec. One sec. You're gonna. Oh god, where is it? There it is. I posted a photo of myself like frustrated with finding a new Nazi podcast I needed, and then this dipshit goes like, "Barely human. You could solve hunger in Africa with your fat. Make yourself useful for once." And this is literally like he thinks, you know, he thinks I give a fuck. You know, like, yeah. You know, I screenshot it just out of like ridiculousness. So you know, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the level of bullshit that I get from uh, 
from my uh, quote unquote fans. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, thank you everyone for listening, and uh, thank you Daniel. And we will be back next time with Ghost Dog: Way of the Samurai, which should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Cheers. I'm brewing lonesome As a man can be I'm brewing lonesome As a man can be Headaches over myself. My love is gone away from me. Baby, please come on back home to me. They must be destroyed on site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>